you're listening to Blurt Senpai. Through exploration of conversations with different people in different walks of life, through my own research, I will try to discover and find out what is a blurred. More than the word, more than the people that use it, more than the movement. So thank you and welcome to uh, Blur Senpai, Mr. Riviero. That's uh, Mr. Rafi Riviero. Um, you're a author, um, have been penned on several different papers. You're a director. You uh, founded a company, The Color Machine. You're a philanthropist. You're uh, so many things, including entrepreneur. Am I missing anything? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I mean, I, I didn't mean to have all those kind of job titles. It just kind of, they just kind of started adding up over time. But uh, I think part of it is just that, you know, society kind of demands you to be one thing, like, you know, back like shut up and dribble. And it's like, you know, we're just human beings. We just express our kind of gift and, and have a where they are. And, and so for me, you know, oh, just being a filmmaker wasn't enough. I had to start writing essays, just doing that. I was like, oh, well, I'm actually a creative person. So I think of it all as one thing, uh, as this act of kind of, participating in, in the culture and, and having things to say about it but but yeah when you when you start drawing the lines between them, then it starts sounding like it, it's a lot but it's, it's really just just one one thing I mean if I had to collect anything some of the titles that you have I definitely would not mind um I I guess I'll go back to the blurred um, and then we'll circle back around towards uh, some of the things that you got going on right now as far as um, unarmed and your participation in a color machine. How would you define blurred like black nerd? How, how would you define that for you? I mean, I just I just think that black people are just as varied as anybody else. And uh, so the fact that there might be a black nerd is surprising to some people when it shouldn't be. And, uh, mm. you know, like I, I, I think we have a right to be nerds just like we have a right to be whatever people think we are uh, in society. And um, so that's just something that I think we all live with if you're into something that people think is nerdy. Like for me, I'm like way into say web design and JavaScript and you know coding and stuff like that, which is, you know, people might think of as nerdy, but it's just like I'm a person who likes the web and wants to know how it works. And so um, I just think nerddom as is expressed within black folks is just something we have a right to like anything else we have a right to do. Right. That, that makes complete and total sense to me. And I, I think it's like a blurred is kind of like 
the same reason that we need um, HBCUs or the same reason that we need um, a Black History Month or something like that. You know, just you you do want to be a part of the overall societal culture, but sometimes society doesn't necessarily make those spaces for Black mm -hmm. people. So mm -hmm. they have to, in a way, make those spaces for themselves. 100%. I mean, that that's, you know, when I, the initial kind of Black nerd essay that I wrote, I mean, it was, that was my inspiration was just seeing these young guys. I mean, I was at a McDonald's at like one or two in the morning or something like that. And Halo was coming out and these guys were just so excited. And it was like, that was it. You know what I mean? It was just like a pure unadulterated form of culture. And this happened to be black culture and this happened to be nerd culture. And you would think that, you know, being a nerd or computing really into gaming, it's like, of course it includes black people, but for some people it was so like exciting, I guess, to see it written about as this kind of piece within black culture. But it's what you said, we just will create a space for ourselves wherever we go because if, if the space isn't there that's denying our full humanity absolutely absolutely um what is geeky and nerdy to do in brooklyn i mean i feel like everything <laughs> is geeky and nerdy to do in brooklyn i mean a part of me i i still don't exactly know how to explain nerdy right like okay. I, I just think it's it's like anything that you can do where you take it to a level of interest that's beyond the normal thing Absolutely. like whether it's photography whether it's gaming whether it's coding um you know the technical things tend to be conflated with nerdum but like you could be a sneaker nerd and like not just you know have a cool collection of sneakers which i think has become pretty mainstream now but it's like to the point where you know like you know the shoelaces and like what you know what color matches right. with that or, or you're customizing and painting them you know um i just think that any interest that a person can have where you go past you know where you have to find right. other people like expert knowledge on it maybe yeah, <laughs> obsess yeah. obsessive expert knowledge is probably yeah. nerdy and yeah. geeky yeah um so we can um, go back to your project. Um, um, Unarmed was um, one that I found to be fascinating. Um, and I think as of right now, you're in the Leon Gallery, is that correct? Uh, the, we just wrapped the show on the Leon Gallery, but, oh, okay. um, but that was the most recent kind of big piece um, that was in Denver. And Unarmed started uh, for me in 2013. Trayvon Martin had been killed and there was the, in 2012, and there was the court case in 2013 um, where his killer was set free. And they said, this guy didn't do anything wrong. And I just said, how could that be? How could this, this boy get killed for no other reason than the fact that he was wearing a hoodie and a court of law said that 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 he that there was no crime committed and so i um my thought process was just that uh, you know if he, if he was on a sports team would people then care about trayvon martin and um so i designed this kind of basketball jersey with the team name unarmed 
the number represents his age. So in the case of the Trayvon Martin jersey, it's number 17. And later I came up with this idea that, that I put stars on the jersey to symbolize the number of bullets that were used in the killing. Wow. And so over time, incrementally, I just continued the project. You know, uh, Eric Garner was the next year, Sandra Bland, uh, Mike Brown was also that next year. I think Sandra Brown was two years later, but Mike Brown, Eric Garner, um, you know, so the Mike Brown jersey, number 18, St. Louis Cardinals colors, six stars, you know, um, Brown and Taylor jersey, you know, number 26, Louisville, University of Louisville colors, eight stars. So I just kind of continued designing these pieces and putting them out on social media uh, to commemorate these victims, uh, but also to protest uh, the circumstances, which are obviously racist, obviously unjust. Right. Um, as to how they lost their lives. And um, last year, kind of in the wake of the George Floyd murder, I had an opportunity to actually print the jersey designs up like kind of full scale, like slightly larger than life size. And, and I started putting them up in first in Brooklyn, then in Manhattan, uh, which led to just a lot of attention, a lot of, um, it's on the news, I think like four times that first week uh, that they were up and from there, came along to the idea of like well what else can i do with this project right. um a couple art galleries reached out um and uh right now i'm actually exploring manufacturing the jerseys and um seeing if i can create them and, and donate the profits to the families and to other social justice organizations so That's it's just been this, been this thank you just this long journey from you know a thing just you know something bad happens and uh you just take that pain and try and turn it into artwork, the same as the blues, except I'm doing it with graphic design. I was literally just thinking that I feel like um, us as um, African Americans or people descended from African slaves have a knack for taking pain and have a, a knack for taking trauma and turning that into something beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. soul food is a, a good example of having the scraps and turning into like a complete delicacy. Um, mm. the blues, like you have mentioned, and even your art project taking your pain and your hurt and your frustration and then turn it into something aesthetically pleasing, turn it into something, um, beautiful out of it. And unfortunately, until we have some major changes in our country i think your project will probably be ongoing unfortunately yeah yeah i mean i i you know I, at the beginning it was kind of like i viewed it as this um you know this uh hurtful thing like and i've, I've definitely broken down in tears many times when designing these jerseys and when thinking about this project because there's something bad has to happen for me to start designing but over time, you know, uh, especially as I start putting it out there more and reaching more people with it, um, working on unarmed feels like a privilege because at least I have a place to put these negative feelings. You know, like something bad happens in society. As you said, these things are gonna continue to happen unless we change our society. And so what happens when you have those feelings, you know, you're sitting there watching the TV news and watching this happen, being brutalized over and over again on, on loop on your news, on your Twitter feed, 
you know, uh, it, it can just be a lot. It can make you want to shut down your computer for the day, walk away, like all that kind of stuff. And to have a place to just take some of this emotion and translate that feeling into a color or a line or a, a you know shape um, has been healthy, a healthy outlet for me. And um, sounds uh, like therapy. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's just been an interesting journey learning that, that um, you know, that actually being formal about that process of taking this bad thing and pouring it into artwork um, ha has been helpful to me and I hope it, it can help be helpful to other people. So can you explain what the color machine is? Um, it looks like some sort of, um, artistic collective from what i gathered from the website <laughs> i mean the color machine is 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 basically like my company like well you know uh basically a production company we make videos for okay. clients you know is is the you know the base level of it but um from the name and, and idea i want it to feel kind of more like what you're saying with her a place where creative things happen, uh, a manufacturer of uh, cool visual ideas. Um, and so I founded that company in 2013, around the same time I started working on Unarmed, um, totally unrelated. It was just, um, I, at the time had two business partners and we were, we were kind of making work individually for clients and we thought, why don't we do that together? Um, but it, it uh, turned into basically a business and um, a way for me to, you know, I've, I've worked in and around film and advertising for almost two decades. So it, it just became kind of my primary workplace. Um, but uh, but now that I'm kind of working on unarmed more or less full time, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like, am I a filmmaker anymore? Or am I an artist? I, I kind of in, in this shift um, in terms of my label and, and um, what it is people see me as. But uh, at the same time, that idea of kind of creative output is essential to my identity and being, and uh, I think it's symbolized in, in, uh, in the color machine. I think the answer to your question, are you an artist or are you a filmmaker, is yes. <laughs> just, <laughs> just holistically, yes. Um, yeah. Like I seen even you did some visuals for um, your unarmed project and that was actually pretty moving so it seems like you're still incorporating your first love into you know your marriage with um, the unarmed project uh, you've been a part of so many projects man um, laundry Thank list you. of them um, some some really good works as well um, 70, 72 hour uh, Brook and Love Story. I actually just uh, bought it on my PlayStation. And <laughs> um, I can't so, wait to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not, not quite done with it. So I'm ill prepared for this interview. But um, that is, I think this is really important. Like, in your work, from what I've seen, it looks like you include a lot of diversity i guess is the word for it like brown people dark-skinned people light-skinned people latinas afro-latinas like it seemed like you when you 
do your work, you do your work consciously of what you're putting into media. 100%. 100%. I mean, I grew up, um, both my parents worked in public broadcasting, specifically in public radio, but also, um, you know, sometimes in, in, in documentary and TV work. And so there was always this idea, A, that, you know, we are creating content to uplift, you know, our community, the people around us, but um, what is that community composed of and what can it be composed of? And so this idea of community radio, which really came out of the 60s and, and at the time, AM was the dominant band for radio and FM was just kind of like, yeah, we'll just give these hippies some radio stations and cares. Um, became this place where lots of people came together to start telling stories uh, over the airwaves. And um, that was just a, a kind of, in my childhood, a thing that I saw my parents dealing with. And then when you would go to the radio station, there would be, you know, the Caribbean guy who had a show on, on Saturday and, and the guy from uh, Mississippi Delta Blues show on, on Thursdays and, and the, you know, the quirky white guy with his glasses and the Latino person. And, the, you know, you would just see all these people who cared so much about the station surviving and being able to reach their communities. And so that, that had a very formative um, thing for me. And so I, I am consciously inclusive in my work you know what I mean that that you know when my mother used to always say you know it doesn't matter what country in the world you go you can always find a black person and so it's like that idea that you know sometimes and if you watch a Hollywood movie for instance and the black person is always the sidekick if they're even in the movie you know what I mean it's like um well that's not the way real life looks like like I, I remember one time Years ago, a guy sent me something for his film, and it was it was set on a New York City bus. He made the film. It was set on a bus in New York City, and all nine characters were white. And I was just like, I can't, I can't even, I can't even have another conversation with this person once I saw what the movie was about. Because I was like, this person clearly does not exist in a real world. And uh, you know, when when I'm on the street or when I'm on the bus. Um, you know, you just see what it's really like. And I try to uh, make the things that I create have be a true reflection of that and being being with diversity at the top of the list, like that to make sure like, oh, you know, if you're catching a, a Uber in New York, nine times out of 10, the drivers from the Middle East, you know what I mean? Like, like you gotta have that Middle Eastern brother in your story if you're catching an Uber, you know what I mean? Like that's just the way it goes. And um, so, uh, like, trying to, trying to not, like, uh, and it's empowering in that we, as people of color and as Black folks, have been excluded from being a part of media and imagery and, and stuff for so long. That's why it's so refreshing when you see the Black nerd. That's why it's so refreshing when you see somebody talking about that, when you see the way that life really looks presented in the media that we consume because if you leave it up to just the dominant media infrastructure that's not what they're going to show and and that's why i feel stale and exclusionary and, and um it doesn't you don't feel embraced by it no no not at all and I, that's the same for um 
for me, in my experience, Black nerd culture, um, I consume a lot of nerd media, whether it be video games, anime, comic books, um, movies, like all of these things. And you don't, I don't want to say don't necessarily, you don't at all most times see anyone that like remotely looks like me. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's definitely um, nice to know that there is someone in a place and in a position that is being conscious of the images that they are putting out into the ethos. Uh, so yeah, yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And 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 there's a lot, you know. There's, I mean, there's a lot of folks like me who are doing this. And um, I mean, one of the cool things about our era and the YouTubes and, and the kind of more decentralized way of, of kind of reaching out is, you know, you've got a podcast, right? You know what I mean? Like you, you might not have been able to, to be on the radio 40 years ago because of, you know, there's only 10 stations and who are they going to hire? And your uncle right. didn't work at the station, blah, blah, blah. It's like, nah, man, I, I got the mic in my hand right now. Like, let's go. So um, I, 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 that's the thing that I really love about this era where there's so many platforms you know like somebody uh, one of the funniest tweets i read uh, a, a couple of years ago and um spotify had just opened up their platform to creators who don't have a record deal or whatever and somebody wrote there's going to be about 10 kids in florida with pink dreadlocks that this just made their day you know what i mean and like <laughs> and that's that's the case real time you know I mean? it's like like, you know, as folks, like, that's what we do all day. We make up cool stuff, you know, whether it's slang, whether it's dances, whether it's, you know, writing, photography, filmmaking, storytelling, jokes, like, you name it. If it's something that is involves creativity, we're all we're over that it. thing. Yeah. And um, now you're seeing that flourish with the TikToks, with the Instagrams, with, you know, with no matter what social platform, it's like, we're the folks that are dominating because uh, we're the people whose voices have been held back um, by the old kind of styles and systems. So that's really exciting to see, not to say that this is, uh, you know, this moment that we're in is perfect. And um, so I, it's always about kind of people continuing to pick up the microphone, continuing to pick up the camera and tell their story from their point of view and being truthful and find a way to be entertaining and, uh, you know, find a way people to like it but um i just think that that it's better now to be how things are now than when it was when there's three tv stations and right. could nobody get on tv so i have um because i'm sure that you are a busy man you probably gotta go uh make a film or something um i got two more questions for you uh do you have a favorite work? Is there a work that you've done so far that you would be like, that's the one for me? Like, that's that's your favorite? Or are they just kind of like all your babies and you can't pick a favorite in front of them? I mean, you know, I think, you know, 72 Hours, a Brooklyn Love Story, my feature film is always going to be special to me just because it's my first movie. It's my first full length. So, uh you know, you grow up and you say, I'm going to go to film school. Oh, you know, one day I'm going to make a movie. And and then you realize like some point, like it's not enough to just kind of have like, oh, one day I'll do this thing um, to actually do it and uh, kind of 
you know, carry that, that thing across the finish line, which is not easy. I don't care like what the budget level, every movie is difficult to make. Um, you know, that one is really special to me for all those reasons, even though it has flaws, even though there are places where I'm like, oh, if I'd done it again, I, I might've done this and that differently, but I'm really proud of that film. And also as an Easter egg, um, you know, I'm working on Unarmed now, but the first time an Unarmed jersey appeared in anything is in that film, the Louis D character, who's like kind of the weed dealer. Every time, every scene that he's in, he's wearing a jersey that says Unarmed. It's not commented on in on the story. It's not anything any remarks upon. You can only really see the jersey clearly uh, the first time he rides in on a skateboard in his first scene. But um, Unarmed is even a part of that film. So I'm also proud that, you know, a big thing that I'm working on now, you know, six years ago when we shot it, it was there too. It, it, you know, it, it just proves like how long this work has been, um, you know, been, been growing and, and seeding uh, in the soil. Um, is there anything you can put me on game to? Is there some music, a a creative um yeah huh i mean you know it's funny because i think a thing that happens like i'm in head down mode which means i'm i'm like working on my own stuff and so then you you, you look up and you're not like you're yeah. like i'm i'm listening to rap songs from like three years ago i'm like oh damn you know rock songs <laughs> and i'm like oh man so i don't i don't really have like the, the that new new i mean um i mean oh oh these with goodies is fine with me i don't i don't okay, listen to okay. a lot of rap anyway so most okay. of anything that you give me i'll be like okay i'll listen okay <laughs> well here's uh, i'll give you one thing. all right here's two things that i think are really really dope um one is the oldie but goodie and one is a newie but goodie um they're they're both in the genre of jazz so uh, there's an artist named John Handy, and uh, he was kind of big in the 70s. He went to music school, unlike a lot of his contemporaries in the jazz scene. And so um, his uh, quintet was him on kind of soprano saxophone. And uh, a major feature was uh, his friend, Michael White, who played the violin. So you have these two Black men who went to music school, who are trained as both classical musicians and who play jazz. So there's a, a recording, John Handy, live at the Monterey Jazz Festival. It's from 1976. They play two songs. One song is like 23 minutes. One's like 13 minutes. Absolutely beautiful. Um, you know, just unbelievable composition and, and improvisation and, and music. And um, uh, just something that, that, you know, if you need to write like a long essay or something, you put that on in the background and you just start writing. It's, it's uh, fantastic. And uh, a newer album that just dropped like, within the last couple of months is uh, this artist, Pharaoh Sa Sanders. And um, he was a jazz musician who was very much into the free jazz movement, who was very much into like less structure, less, you know, like, less song craft, you know, more like, let me just wail with this onto, into the saxophone and say whatever I got to say. And so he's someone who explored like the far reaches of listenability, like some of those albums you're like, oh, wow, you know, I don't know if I'm ready for this. This is um, intense. <laughs> uh, but uh, he's, he's much older now. And, and, um, and he always, there's always a, a musical sensibility within his music. So I, I don't want to um, uh, say that, but this, his most recent album is done with the London Symphony Orchestra. 
And so what you have is a kind of older artist, you know, maybe it's one of his last albums that he's going to record. And you have, you hear everything. You hear this person who walked out to the very edge and came back, you know, but you also hear somebody whose song composition, who's, uh, who's, you know, now you're with the symphony orchestra. So you have strings and just these swelling, moving, majestic moments, you know what I mean? But with this kind of single black man on the, on the sax leading you through these, all these places. And uh, it's just a, a phenomenal album. And uh, I think everybody should listen to it. All right, definitely, man. Um, it sounds like my evening will be wrapped up. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, your your suggestions aren't, aren't like two minute songs. So I'm going to have to dedicate some, <laughs> some, <laughs> to dedicate some time to it. Oh, well, put it on while you cook. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have to be like that. But yeah, yeah. All right. Um, what are your, where are your socials where uh, people can find your art, find you? Yeah, I'm I'm on um on most social media platforms. I'm on uh, Rafi Rivero is my my handle, my first name R A A F I Rivero River with an O. Um, but also Unarmed is is uh, I'm putting so much attention into that now. So Unarmed Co on Instagram is is the best place to follow the project. And uh, between my Twitter and IG and Unarmed Co on on IG, those are the main places I am these days. I I do appreciate you for coming on, man. And you have uh, you've been wonderful, and I appreciate you giving.